The service today, we're going to get started with a few announcements, and then we'll do a greeting, and then we'll get on to our service. Pastor Joel and his family are out of town uh, visiting friends this week, so uh, Pastor Tori is going to be sharing her next message in her sermon series on uh, spiritual warfare with the Shield of Faith. Operation Christmas Child Boxes need to be returned to the church by November 13th. And if you have a college student who'd like an exam box from the church, please get their name to Daniel Hirschfeld by November 15th. We're also going to have an all-church Thanksgiving dinner on November 16th, and we're looking for three people to cook a turkey. I'm looking, no volunteers here. But if you're able and you think you're pretty good at that, uh, contact the church office. And uh, just as a reminder, next Sunday is fall back, so we're going to gain that hour. Don't forget to set your clocks back next week. So let's stand and, or wait, let's do, uh, take this time to greet your neighbor. Right, take this time to greet your neighbor. if you'd uh, please uh, stand and rise and join me in the call to worship taken from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those who help the God of Jacob, whose hope is in their Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord.
You, had the, you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He's calling us out of darkness into his wonderful light.
Heavenly Father, we're so happy to be in your presence today. For as the scriptures say, wherever two or more are gathered, you are there. And Lord, it is such an honor to worship the God today that was the same God back then. The one that parted the seas, the one that could heal, the one that could bring the dead back to life. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for being our provider. Thank you for being our healer. Thank you for being our savior. And thank you for being the one we can turn to when things look grim. Lord, we just are blessed to be in your presence this morning. And we thank you for everything you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The children could come forward with the children's chat with Mrs. Lammers. wonderful faces. Isn't that singing great this morning? It was. Gets us all excited. Now, the last time I spoke with you, we talked about the armor of God and we talked about shoes. Remember that? Hmm? Good. One person remembers. That's good. All right. Two people remember. Well, you know what Tori's going to talk about today The Bible tells us in this verse, this is what she's going to talk about. The Bible says, take up the shield of faith. What do you use a shield for? Huh? Oh, there's arrows. There's some more arrows. Is that what the Roman soldiers used to do? Shield. Shield, yeah. Protect them from strange objects flying at them. They used a lot of... of, uh, Arrows that were on fire, and that was the shield to protect them from those shields, you know. So we're talking about the armor of God, though. And if we remember, who's the evil one we're fighting against? Satan. Can we see Satan? Nope, we can't see him, but is he out there? Oh, yeah, big time, big time. So we talked about before... That about the belt of truth, where the Bible talks about the truth, about our life, and God's plan for us. And then he gave us the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, they wore those big breastplates to protect their heart against anything hurting them. And then we talked about the shoes for our feet, that we can share his love and peace with others, so more people can come to Jesus. So this week, we're going to talk about... How God gives us a shield against those fiery darts that come from Satan that want to destroy our faith. Now, faith is kind of a hard thing to understand. Can anybody tell me what they think faith is? Hmm, kind of hard, isn't it? What do you think? Kind of like trust, yeah. What do you think? Okay, faith in yourself. Faith is something that you believe in, but you might not be able to see it. Now, David had faith in God when he did what? When he got went up and fought Goliath. Did Noah have faith? And what? And what did Noah have faith about? The ark, because he knew God would save his family from the flood. Moses, did he have faith? Can you imagine standing there and watching the water separate so all those thousands of people can get to the other side away from the Egyptians? That's a lot, a lot of faith. So what we need to do is think about faith as believing in God's son, that he's God's in Jesus. And that he has defeated death so we can spend the rest of our lives where? In heaven with whom? God. God. Absolutely right. 
So that enemy, I don't know if you know how he works, but have you ever built a Lego set, built a tower really high, and then your dog runs through the house and does what? Knocks it over. Now, are you not, well, our little brother or little sister or somebody does it, are you angry when that happens? No. Do you want to get angry at the dog or your brother and sister and maybe knock something of theirs over? Well, that's, that's Satan working on you. He's telling you things that, you know, that's not the way we're supposed to behave, is it? How about if um, you're making a necklace with a whole bunch of beads and you put that last bead on there and then you drop it and where do the beads go? Everywhere. Everywhere. You break your necklace, yeah. And so what does that make us? Angry and frustrated too, doesn't it? And then we might are showing the love and things that we have, you know, that God has given us. God gives us that faith, helps us be strong. And so when we, those kind of feelings, those ugly feelings come, we can fight against them with our shield of faith. You know, God loves us so much, and he wants to protect us. The more faith we have in him, the greater things that we see him do, because as you grow and grow and grow, your faith is going to grow as big as it's going to be. No, we're all growing in our faith, something we work on every day. And a part of that faith is our relationship with Jesus, being bound with him. That's accepting him as our Lord and Savior. So the next time that you think you're all alone, you're frustrated or angry, just think about that, that God is there. He's there to protect you, and he is one great God. He can do everything. There's nothing that he can't do. So even though our shield of faith is really kind of indivisible, we can use that against the evil of the world, can't we? And tell it to get back. God's going to protect us and take care of us. So let's grab our shields of faith, and we're going to run in the battle knowing God's going to protect us against sin and Satan. Please let us say a prayer. Dear Father, we know that you made us and we know what is best for us. Please help us put our faith and trust in you when we are scared, feel alone, or somebody hurts our feelings. Thank you for the shield of faith. And Lord, we know we need you every hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, kids. Our offering this morning is going towards Carl Lanham with Nation of Coaches. And as the deacons come forward to collect this morning's offering, the praise team is going to lead us or continue to lead us in worship um, with the heart of worship. Just 
Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, the, just like we sang a few minutes ago, Lord, it's all about you. Everything we do, the, when we come together as the body of believers, Lord, it's for you and to worship you, Lord, because you deserve it all. Lord, you deserve all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise that we could ever give you. And Lord, I just, I thank you that you are with us no matter what, Lord, that uh, you are with us in our times of need. You are with us when, you know, we're on the mountain high or we're in the valley low, Lord. You are there and we need you every single hour of every single day. Lord, there are many people on our prayers and concerns list this morning. God, we don't know each situation, but you do, Lord, and we trust that you will work in the lives of those people, Lord, bring healing where healing's needing, comfort where that's needed as well, Lord. And Lord, minister to their hearts in only a way that you can. God, we know that there are also people that bring in burdens and bring in hurt and pain, Lord, every Sunday when they come to church. Lord, whether they're facing just a difficult situation or it's been a tough year or whatever the case may be, Lord, uh, we know that there are people hurting here. And Lord, we thank you that you tell us that you can, that we can come to you and we can cast our burdens onto you, Lord. And I thank you that your shoulders are big enough to bear them all. Lord, that we don't have to carry them alone, but you invite us to bring them to you. So Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that is carrying a load that they don't need to be carrying, that they would just trust you and give that load to you, Lord, knowing that Lord, we just love you and we thank you so much for who you are. And we ask that you would be with us this morning as we continue to worship you. Open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you again for this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, the chance to uh, share your word, Lord, and to talk about faith and the shield of faith. Lord, you have armed us well to fight against the enemy. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about this next piece of the armor, that you would just teach us what you want us to know. Lord, I pray that you would give me words to speak and that you would be big and I would be little. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. So it's kind of exciting. This morning, we are halfway through our series on the armor of God. It's only taken us 10 months, but we're moving right along. You know, when I started this series um, on the armor, I intentionally started out by talking about spiritual warfare. And I did that because we had to get a little bit of a grasp on the spiritual battle and the enemy that we're fighting against in order to understand the armor and how it protects us. And I know that you've heard me say this many times over the last few months. You might actually be sick of it. But I don't want you to forget this truth, that if you are a Christ follower, you have an enemy. Your enemy is Satan, and he hates you. He is actively fighting 
to destroy you and to destroy your relationship with Christ. And he does that in a lot of different ways. And that's why Paul talked about the battle first in Ephesians 6. He talked about the battle and the forces that we're up against before he even goes into the armor because he wants us to understand that part of it first. He says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In this verse, the word struggle, when translated to Greek, is pele. And that means that this fight is waged up close and personal. It's like a hand-to-hand combat fight. So I kind of think of it as like a wrestling match with Satan. And so the battle that we're fighting against him as believers is up close and it's personal. And you know, one of the best ways to win a battle is to know your enemy. And a good soldier never goes into battle without studying their enemy first. They know their battle formations. They know how they strike and the way that they like to attack. And thankfully, we know who our enemy is. And the names that scripture uses to describe Satan actually help us to understand who he is and how he attacks. Satan, the name Satan means adversary. So the enemy is antagonistic to the plans and the purposes of God. So he's always going to try to attack those things. Tempter means the one who tempts for the purpose of enticing someone to sin. Satan wants to mislead your passions so that you will seek to fulfill them in perverted and illegitimate ways. And he he intentionally sets temptations in your path that are distorted variations of God's gift to you. Accuser means the one who condemns. Satan wants to condemn you. He wants you to feel like you are a failure, and he wants you to feel like there's no hope and get you filled with shame so that you never turn to Jesus. He's also the father of lies. He is a liar and a falsifier. All Satan can do is lie. There is no truth in him. And he will seek to lie to you any chance that he can. He'll try to mislead you with inaccuracies about God and his word and his plans for you. And Satan is also referred to as the ruler of the world, which means the enemy's approach isn't just individual. He carefully crafts and proliferates philosophies and doctrines and moral perspectives across entire demographics in order to steal entire groups of people away from God. So knowing our enemy and how he operates helps us to be a little bit more prepared for his attacks. If you are a Christ follower, you are going to be attacked by the enemy. It's not a matter of if it will happen, it's a matter of when it will happen. But God has given us, as his believers, the protection that we need through the armor so that we can stand against those attacks and stand firm in him. We've been given the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the gospel shoes of peace to put on and to wear every single day. These pieces of our uniform are supposed to be like the clothes that we put on every morning, right? And then Paul, he switches a little bit. He switches his verbiage, and he commands us to take up the final three pieces. He tells us to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And these last three pieces are designed for us to pick them up and to use them when the situation calls for it. And so the first thing that Paul commands us to take up is the shield of faith. Now, a Roman soldier's shield was an impressive piece of equipment. It was four foot long and two foot wide, and it was shaped like a door. And the size of this shield gave the soldier something to hide behind in the battle to be fully protected. And the sides of the shield were curved, which helped deflect the arrows that came their way. And it was also covered in animal hides and leather. And this was, so this was so it could be soaked in water. So soldiers would soak their shield in water before entering into the battle to extinguish the flaming arrows that came their way. So this shield gave them full protection. And it also gave them the confidence that they needed to advance against the enemy when the arrows came at them. But in order to understand the protection that this piece of equipment gives us, we first have to define faith. And as Carolyn was saying, defining faith can be a little bit difficult sometimes. And faith is one of those words that gets thrown a lot and some, thrown around a lot and sometimes even misused, especially in Christian circles. Faith could mean a set of religious beliefs that someone follows, right? Someone might say, my faith is Christianity. Uh, faith could also mean an ongoing relationship with Jesus, or it could mean our choice to trust in God 
in a specific circumstance. And all those things are good, but it doesn't quite get at the true meanings of faith. The word faith shows up in the New Testament over 200 times, and almost every time the word is used, it's referring to a person's actions. And those actions done in response to who God is and what he has told them to do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So biblically speaking, faith in what he says he will do, even when we don't understand the outcome. Priscilla Schreier in her book on the armor of God has my favorite, version, my favorite definition of faith. She says, simply put, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is not talking about or thinking about or even celebrating God's truth. It's the process of adapting your behavior, your decisions, and your whole life with what God has asked you to do, without needing to see the evidence that it will all work out in the end. I was listening to a sermon in the car once, and this preacher was talking about faith. And he said something that has stuck with me for years. And he said, faith is in your feet, not your feelings. And I think when you look at the examples of faith in scripture, that, that speaks to that, right? All of the people that were commended for living out their faith did something in response to who God was, and who God is, and what he told them to do. And you can see that in Hebrews 11, in what many people refer to as the hall of faith. And in this passage, we're given example after example of people who lived lives of faith. And one of my favorite examples is Noah. And this is what Hebrews 11 says about him. He says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So God came to Noah and told him, Hey, I need you to build an ark. And I need you to build this ark on dry land because a flood is coming. Now, Noah was warned about something that he had never even experienced before because up until this point in scripture, the land had never flooded. So he had no idea what this flood was going to look like or what it was going to be like, but he took God at his word. And I'm sure that at, at some point during the whole ark building process, he got ridiculed for doing that, right? I'm sure that his friends thought he was crazy. I'm sure that there were moments that Noah even doubted whether or not he heard God right or if he really was supposed to be doing this. But he built the boat anyway. Noah trusted in God. He took him at his word, and he built the ark in faith. And Noah, along with many other people in Hebrews 11, are listed for their faith. People like Rahab, people like Daniel, people like Abraham. They didn't just say that they believed in God and in his promises. They lived it out. In every situation, no matter how difficult or impossible it seemed, they trusted God and did what he said no matter what. Have you ever met someone that was lived like this, that was truly committed to living a life of faith. And you can just tell by spending any little bit of time with them or just looking at them that they live differently. My dad is one of those people. My dad is a self-employed painter, and he is constantly doing jobs for people for free because God told him to. He always tells me every single time I see him, I have been blessed to be a blessing, and that's how he lives his life. He wants to be a blessing to other people. And so when someone from church asks him to do a project, he's there. When some, a neighbor needs help, he's there for them too. And he's constantly living out his faith by doing the things God has told him to simply because God said so. You know, we're called to do and live the same way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5-7 that we live by faith, not by sight. Now the word live can be translated to walk as well. And walking is a daily activity that we do, right? we got to walk to get places. And so when Paul says to walk or to live by faith, he's saying make faith part of your daily living. And living a life of faith simply means that you choose to act and live in accordance with God's truth, no matter what the outcome may be. No matter if you get ridiculed, no matter if you, know, you lose friendships or family members over it, you do it anyway. And it means doing what God tells you to, even when you don't want to. <laughs> even when it's hard and you can't see the outcome. Active faith becomes our shield when we walk in faith with Jesus. Faith is trusting in God and doing what he says, even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that we're going to have, that our whole life is going to go great, or that when we step out in faith that everything's going to be awesome. There is hardship in life, and, but our faith protects us, and it helps us keep focused on God no matter what. 
You know, studying the armor of God over the last 10 months has taught me a lot about ancient battle tactics, something I didn't think I'd learn a whole lot about. Uh, but, you know, the people in biblical times, they may not have had a lot of technology or the advanced weaponry that we have today, but they knew how to make deal with what they had. And one of the ways to take down an enemy in that time was um, with fiery darts, or what they would call primate. And these fiery darts weren't just your average arrows that you load into a bow. These arrows were the size of javelins, and they were dipped in pitch, they were set on fire, and sometimes they were even shot out of like a catapult-type thing for more velocity and greater accuracy. And these fiery darts had one goal, and that was to keep the enemy from advancing. But a properly used shield allowed a soldier to confidently advance against the enemy, even in the face of these flying darts. And Paul says in Ephesians that Satan uses the same battle tactics against us. He's got a quiver full of arrows ready and positioned to send flying your way to keep you from walking in faith every single day. And you know, we could sit here and we could go through all the different ones that Satan throws our way, but I think that there's four that he uses pretty regularly on believers. And those four are doubt, discouragement, temptation, and disunity. You know, doubt was the very first dart that Satan ever used against God's people in Scripture. In the garden, God told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any fruit in the garden, any tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only one that was off limits. And Satan used that to his advantage. And his first question to Eve was, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? See, Satan got Eve to question God with that one question. Did God really say, are you sure that's what he said? And Satan wanted to get her to question God and whether or not to question whether or not God was holding out on them by not letting them eat from the tree. And you know, Satan does the same thing to us. You know, when you align your life with God's truth and you start walking in faith, Satan's going to try to stop you. And he does that through doubt, by trying to plant little seeds of doubt in your mind about who God is or what his word says or what he's asking you to do. He's going to try to get you to question if you're really hearing God right. But don't let him do that. Remember, Satan, his tricks aren't new. We can see them all throughout scripture, and so we can fall back on scripture and know when he's attacking us with doubt and say, you know what, Satan? Not today. Not letting that one get through. The second one that he sends our way is discouragement. Discouragement means to be deprived of confidence or courage. The arrow of discouragement is designed to disrupt our focus on God and to discourage us from doing the things that he tells us to do. An example of this is found in 1 Kings 19. Now, the prophet Elijah in this story had just killed all of the evil prophets of Baal. And after he did that, God used him to call fire down from heaven to prove that God was the one true God. Now, Queen Jezebel found out about this, and she was furious. She told Elijah that she would hunt him down and kill him for what he did. And so Elijah was scared, naturally, and so he ran for his life to Beersheba. And he, at that point, he was exhausted. He had just come off doing this crazy thing that God asked him to do. He was tired. He was on the run. He was scared. And it was kind of like a perfect storm. And so Satan used the opportunity to send the doubt, the dart of discouragement his way. And he tells God this after, after he's um, running. He says, God, I'm done. I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I'm tired. I can't do it. And Elijah had even convinced himself that he was the only prophet left in the entire world that was serving God. See, this arrow of discouragement sent Elijah into a full-blown spin-out. And I love God's response to Elijah. And we'll talk when you get up. And after the nap, after some food and a little chat with God, which probably would solve most of our issues in life, right? Um, he returned back to the mission that God had given him. You know, I had an Elijah moment this summer. Jake and I were visiting my family for vacation, and it was the last day of our vacation. And the dread of coming home was so heavy. I just did not want to come back to Ohio. And that morning, I took the paddleboard out on the lake. And if you've ever paddleboarded before, it requires just a little bit of balance. And one way to keep your balance on the board is to keep your eyes focused on the horizon. And the second you start to look at the waves around you or you look at your feet, you start to wobble on the board. 
And so as I was out in the water, I just started talking to God. And I told God, I am so ready to be done in ministry. I'm ready to turn in my resignation and do a normal job, whatever that means. And I was just worn out. And I, it had been a busy and challenging year of ministry, and I was spent. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, spent. And the thought of doing a whole nother year was just daunting, and I didn't think I could do it. And so I told God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And God was like, yeah, you're right. You're not done. Sorry. And he used my paddleboard to teach me a lesson, because as I was paddling, I started to look at the water, and I started to lose my balance. And God said, Tori, this is what you've been doing. You've been looking at the water, you've been focused on the hard things, and you've lost your focus on me. And so I was like, have I really done that? And I started thinking about it, and everything God told me was right, because he's always right all the time, right? And I really had lost my focus. I had just started looking at all of the stuff that was piling up, the, the start of a new school year, and I just lost my sight on God. And it took a little bit of effort to reorient my thinking and to get my focus back, but once I did, it made all the difference. You know, the arrow of discouragement is designed to keep you focused on the hard things. It's designed to keep you focused on what's right in front of you so that you lose sight of God's perspective and the things that he has called you to do. The third arrow is temptation. The, the fiery dart of temptation gets thrown our way, and Satan, he's kind of crafty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what's going to get us to stumble into sin, and he puts those things in our path. If you're an alcoholic, Satan will wait until you are in a vulnerable space and place, and he will start tempting you to take a hit from the bottle. He doesn't force you to take the drink, but he will try to make it as desirable as possible. If you struggle with your temper, he's going to make sure that there are things in your path that are going to set you off and that will get you to blow your top. You know, we could sit here and we could list many different temptations that we all struggle with, but each temptation is designed to entice you into sinning. He doesn't make you sin, but he knows that how to make that thing really tempting so that you fall into it. And because Satan knows the effects of sin. He knows that our sin drives a wedge between us and God, and it disrupts our unity in him. And he doesn't want you and I close to the Lord at all. So if he can get some sin in there, if he can get some temptation that he knows that we might take a bite out of, that'll put a little bit of distance between us and God. Satan is crafty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to get in there with the dart, but we don't have to let him. You know, doubt, discouragement, temptation are three of the four big hitters that get sent our way. And we've all experienced them at different times in our life, right? We've experienced doubt, temptation, discouragement. And, but now that we know who sends those darts our way and what they look like a little bit, we don't have to be taken out by them every single time. We have been given a huge shield that is fortified with layers of protection to take up and to use to deflect against these darts. And the key to deflecting and quenching the fiery darts is found in our faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ allows us to pick up the shield and to use it to deflect those darts. Jesus experienced every single one of them during his time here on earth. He struggled with doubt, discouragement, temptation. And not only did he overcome those things here on earth, but he also secured the final victory over them through his death, and his resurrection. And if you and I are born-again believers, we're positioned for victory because Jesus Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and he dwells inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And it is by his power at work within us that we can experience and have victory over the enemy and over the darts that he sends our way. But it's also in Jesus that we're given the living water that we need to soak our shield in to extinguish those fiery darts. You know, earlier I mentioned that soldiers would soak their shield in water before going into battle. Well, in John 4, Jesus refers to himself as the living water. So it's in relationship with him that we're given the living water to soak our shields with to protect us against the fiery darts sent our way. Faith is our shield. Faith in Jesus enables us to overcome his attacks. If the enemy is hammering you with attacks right now, pick up your shield. Soak yourself in Jesus and in his word. Remind yourself that you have the upper hand and that you can be victorious over, the, over those darts 
through Jesus Christ and through your faith in him. You know, the shield of faith is the piece of armor that I've been most excited to talk about. It's, I think it's my favorite piece. I don't know if you're supposed to have favorites, but it's my favorite um, because there's so many different ways that it protects us. The shield is used for individual protection, but it's also meant to be used for corporate protection during battle. Roman soldiers advanced in the battle with their shields held up high in front of them. And the second the fiery darts started flying, they would group together as close as possible. And the men in the front would hold out their shields in front of them. The ones in the middle would put their shields above their heads. And the guys on the side would hold the shields on their hips. And this was what was known as the tortoise formation. And in this formation, no arrows could get through. It was like a turtle shell. And it, it allowed for maximum protection for all of the people in the army. And it was almost impossible for anything to break through it. And if an arrow broke through, they had managed to get to a soldier to strike a target. Um, everyone would close in around that guy. And they would keep their shields up so they were protected and he was protected as they cared for him. And, you know, the best example of what I think this looks like is found in Luke 5. And it says in verse 17, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some man came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven, and he was healed. Now this paralyzed guy had some incredible friends that jumped into action when they heard Jesus was in town because they believed that Jesus could heal their friend. They picked up their shields, they formed that turtle formation, and they jumped into action. And Jesus said that it was the faith of his friends that healed the man on the mat. You know, we're, we're created to walk by faith together with other believers. Galatians 6.2 says to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, life is hard. There's going to be times in your life where your faith gets shaken and, you're tr- and trusting in God feels almost impossible. Unexpected losses shake our faith. Getting a call from our doctor with rough test results that we weren't expecting shakes our faith, right? And the ending of marriages can shake our faith. And it's in those faith-shaking moments that we need other believers. We need believers to come around us with their their faith shields held out and to battle on our behalf. We need friends like the paralyzed man had to surround us for us. But if you're like me, in those faith-shaking moments, I don't want to be around people. I, my, the temptation I have is to isolate and to try to go through that time on my own. And if that's you too, stop doing it. Don't, let, don't isolate in those moments because our faith in Jesus Christ is what unifies us as believers. God designed us to walk through this life together. He wants us to be unified in him and to come together. And he gave us shields to lock together for that specific reason. You know, when I think of what this looks like lived out as a church, I think of the first church in Acts. These believers were far from perfect. They were just average people, but they were committed to walking out their faith in Christ. And I'm sure that there were little things that popped up that caused, you know, little fights or whatever, but they put those things aside. They didn't let their own agendas or opinions or preferences get in the way of living out their faith as a body of believers. They had those shields up and out and walk together in unity because of Jesus. But Satan doesn't want unity among believers. He wants you to isolate. He wants you to try to live a life of faith on your own. He doesn't want your marriage to come under, uh, be united under Christ. He doesn't want your friendships to be united under Christ. And he doesn't, especially doesn't want us as the body of, a body of believers to unite together in our area. And the second that Satan sees believers walking in unity, he sends the fourth and final dart of disunity. You know, when I compare the first church in Acts to the American church today, it's pretty easy to see how much we've left ourselves defenseless, how we've dropped our our shields of faith. And the fiery dart of disunity has just wreaked havoc on all of our churches. We have become so divided over personal opinions on how church should run or how things should go. And in the process, we've stopped pursuing God and what he wants for his body of believers. 
We've allowed culture around us to define truth rather than standing on God's truth as believers. And we've become so divided over truth that we no longer talk about it because it's too hard or it's too divisive to talk about at church. We struggle to be unified with brothers and sisters in Christ because we're too busy holding grudges against the people in the pew in front of us. It's not supposed to be this way, people. It is not supposed to be this divided. And the body of Christ all over America is divided and it's fragmented and it's in a sorry state. And it's on the brink of becoming irrelevant because we have allowed ourselves to become disunified. And we have nobody to blame but ourselves. And because we have dropped our shields and we've left ourselves defenseless. But we don't have to keep falling prey to that dart of disunity as the body of Christ. We can fight back. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 how to do that. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Remember, the calling that we have received is to walk in faith. Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, living this way takes a lot of trust and faith. It requires us to use our shield because when we commit to humility, gentleness, unity, and living the way that God tells us to live and as individuals, but also corporately as the body of Christ, the attacks are going to come. And in fact, they're going to ramp up, but we're not defenseless. We can push back against the enemy because we have our shield. So let's overcome those darts and fight back with our faith and do what God says anyways, even when it's hard, even when you don't want to do it anyway. We have the shield of faith faith that goes before us as we actively live out our faith in Jesus Christ. But it's time for all of us to decide whether we're going to pick it up and whether we're going to use it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for your truth, Lord, that we can stand on your truth as believers. Lord, you have given us this impressive piece of equipment to protect us, Lord. It is your shield that goes before us. Help us to pick it up. Help us to use it, Lord. Help us to come together as believers and to fight against the fiery darts that come our way, Lord. Help us to be like the friends of the paralyzed man on the mat, Lord, that we fight for each other, that we battle for each other, Lord, and that everything we do is for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Song. Let's stand for the last song. We're going to start on um, the second verse. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus as we contemplate the shield of faith that we're going to walk out in.
go behind you and before you and on either side of you as you walk in faith with him this week. You may go in peace.